Welcome everybody to another episode of Build Amazing Things Securely. I'm absolutely thrilled today to be joined by Santiago Bernhardt. I'm going to let him introduce himself. He will do it much better than me. We're going to dive into the crazy world of IoT security. But let's start at the very beginning. Santiago, who are you as a person? Who are we listening to today? Hi, Laura. Thank you for inviting me to come and talk to everybody today about building secure things. So I'm an Argentinian guy that ended up in New Zealand about 10 years ago, <laughs> and I was always an infrastructure background person because everybody was moving into the cloud. I ended up learning the new technologies and I had to migrate to, to a cloud for different businesses. And I ended up understanding how to work in Azure, Google, Google Cloud, and AWS. Even though I'm mainly an AWS person, I always have passion for building infrastructure in general and building secure things. I have been working in a couple of big places in New Zealand. I'm going to call them big places for New Zealand. Um, it's all right. We, we working... all know New Zealand places are always small. Big and now us. I'm working for this company that is trying to change the way that the, the world should be running IoT devices. We, we can deep dive into that in the next. Yeah, absolutely. I'm intrigued. But you, you're alluding to quite the adventure here because I feel like your pathway wasn't quite as straightforward as that sounded in that little intro. So how did you yeah. get your dream job in IoT? This is an interesting part. I was working a couple of years ago. I think I was working at Deloitte, or probably Atomic. I was in Atomic for a while, helping them build a platform after they did the pivoting. And in one of the school parents' nights, <laughs> I met this person that was just arriving to New Zealand with his family. We ended up randomly chatting during the this, you know, school kids performance or something. And he introduced himself as, oh yeah, I'm here. I'm an American person. I'm going to be building this thing. I'm coming from, from Microsoft and I'm going to be building this thing to change the world in IoT. And I was like, oh, that sounds really interesting. So I switched into my, oh, I'm not a nerd with them, with most of the parents to start being a super nerd with, with this person asking questions. <laughs> and it was like mind blowing his vision into the, the current problem that he was seeing right now with bridges. And we're talking about five years ago, right? And there were already bridges of, I don't know, for example, hotels being bridged by, I don't know, a Raspberry Pi at the time being unhooked. Mm. And somebody was using that port to do something else. And in the way that the networks were working and how to compromise those level of IoT devices. And they were, okay, what happens with the IoT world is you have a huge range of IoT device types. You have devices that they might be inside your fridge, inside your car, inside an airplane, inside a, a nuclear power plant. And they might be doing really complex things or very small things that they might, they, they might be extremely risk adverse. And if something really tiny compromises that, it allows you know, lateral movement around the entire enterprise or office building or, or, or whatever and can cascade into dramatic problems. And for me, it was like mind blowing. I'm like, that's actually right. <laughs> I'm like, and what are you doing to fix this problem? And he was like, oh, I'm building an operating system around SEL4. And I don't know if you, I'm going to clarify what SEL4 is in general. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you tell us, tell us what we need to know. And the, the story was, oh, just tell me about it. Because again, I was very naive on that sense. Even that I've been a Linux person for many, many years. I think I heard of SEL4. I say, oh, there is a thing there, but I never look into it. So the story was, okay, SEL4 is it's a microkernel. And it's pretty much a, a second generation microkernel that is designed to be formally verified and assured performance and security. And that, that's, the, that's the main purpose of it. And being a microkernel, it means that there has a ridiculous amount of less 
Yeah, yeah. Uh, like I mean, the hold, hold up a second. I'm going to have to pause because back when yeah. I was a student, I remember having that lecturer who taught me about formal methods and being able to, you know, verify yeah. the security and the, the functionality of something mathematically. Are you saying that yeah. we're now actually doing that really for something? Because back then it yes. was all theory. Wow. Yes. So we, we have several people in the team right now, but they are, <laughs> they are part of the contributors of SEL4, which means that the, the team is is very technical <laughs> in a great way. I wow. mean, they're like cool. so, so clever people to work with. Yeah, so the idea is, of course, formal methods using you know, mathematical instructions for verification. So when there is an input, we are going to assure that there is a desired, trusted output. And that's the complexity of formal methods, right? Because in, in a standard processing, in non-SEL kernels, what you have is, again, a bunch of services that they will receive an input, process it, and send it back. And then the kernel will grab it and do something else. And there's no trust between pretty much each process and the scope of each process when it started, when it finished, and how it can move and connect to the other subservices. So the idea of building this operating system was, okay, everything that is going to be loaded inside the device, it needs to be trusted within the service layer without impacting performance and everything that comes behind it. How hard could that be? <laughs> um, uh, for I anyone mean, who's been there, there trying hard. to do that level of assurance, that's super hard. Yeah. I'm going to just also give the, the audience listening at home a, a little bit of a why am I smiling? Why, why does this story make me happy? New Zealand is an incredibly small place. We have the idea of two degrees of separation rather than six. And I love the idea, Santiago, that you met another super nerd at a parent's evening. And that the, the, yeah. the origin of this was super nerding at your school thing. That, that couldn't be more Kiwi if it tried. Okay, so you, you met an amazing person. You're on this adventure. What happened next? Yeah, so they, they were talking about this thing back then. And I randomly catch up with, with Boyd for a couple of years. I think like every six to nine months, we will get a random beer or get a coffee or lunch. And he will show me all. Oh, now the operating system can do this. Now these are the things. This is the progress. And it was like really interesting because at that time I was like, oh, it's actually getting together now. It's becoming real. And I was always coming with like challenging questions into like, how are you going to be planning to manage the devices? How are you going to be planning to get the devices deployed to be you know, connect, you know, interconnected with each other? Because that's also where the next level of the challenge come, comes in. And they were like, oh, what we're going to do is we're going to have a lot of VPNs that they're gonna connect everywhere. So everything is gonna be trusted by internal and external VPNs everywhere. And I'm like, lie. Yeah, I, yeah wow. I love networking. <laughs> <laughs> when you start talking about those layers, I mean, it can get really, really, really complex in terms of like, you know, cyber network calculations, routing path, and, you know, trusting all of that in a secure way, internal DNS of the subsystems and everything. So again, the chats were like really, really deep. <laughs> I feel like you met your te tech BFF just, just randomly. This is amazing. Okay, so we've decided that we're going to conquer the world with some crazy scaled networking, and we've got yeah. our super secure, mathematically proven operating system. What came next? So what came next was, okay, the company was in the search of building this platform around the devices, so the devices can be connected and, and all of this stuff. In parallel, the, the company is, trying to identify exactly what are the needs of the different customers. Because of course, when you start in this spectrum, you have, again, let's say car manufacturers, you know, 
defense systems for entire nations that they might be interested in this thing at different layers. So they were like, okay, every single one of them are going to have a different requirement. They're going to have to, for example, self-host this in an on-prem air gap facility, or maybe just in a huge lab, or they're going to want to have it in their own Google Cloud, or in their own Azure subscription, or in their, your, in the, in their own AWS account, or they're going to want to use our multi-tenanted environment because, it, again, it still needs to be Azure, but maybe not mm. extremely, you know, I'm going to call it, somebody's going to die if this fails, type of IoT device. And they don't want to deal with all the self-hosting and managing all of that. That was pretty much when the company came to me and said, hey, do you want to come and help us brainstorm what we can do about it? <laughs> and I was like, <laughs> I love building platforms in general, but the challenge is very interesting because it's not like oh, a standard product, we're going to build it, let's say, for AWS or for Azure, and we're going to self-host it, and that's it. We need to give this one-click deployment experience and continuity for the customers in a way that, again, this needs to be secure in their own environment, get con continuous updates. The entire platform needs to be tied out in a very, I'm going to call it simple design, but still robust enough. So they understand what they are deploying, you know, following standards for certain certifications and so on. Um, so I joined them about nine, nine months ago. And the oh, main congratulations. Was, yeah. <laughs> so the, the main idea was, okay, I'm going to help them put plans in place for all of this. And it's been a really interesting journey. We definitely got the, the platform I'm going to call the, the beta platform in place. It can be self-hosted in AWS and Azure. It can be self-hosted on-prem. Um, we, are, we are in the making of actually deploying a multi-regional one for um, kind of like, you know, devices can be connected to our hosted version and customers can just pay for it, which was this, really interesting. This is cool. So uh, let's talk a little bit. I, I want to kind of talk about how and where this can be applied then. So you mentioned it at the start about how many different IoT devices yeah. and types of devices we have and how many of the breaches we were seeing and have continued to see over the last five years have been related yeah. to these lower security devices being in higher security environments. Yeah. So, you know, you're now really on the edge of trying to solve that problem what devices are, are you kind of focusing on first? Where, where do you think the real need is? Yeah, one of the main companies that we are, main industries that we are actually engaging with at the moment is the, the car manufacturing industry. There's a car manufacturing brand that is really interesting in this product, especially since after in the last year or so, there have been a couple of breaches of the Tesla cars, the, mm. the Ferraris and, and a couple of other ones. And also with all of these breaches of the physical device itself, you know, people, let's say, for example, cutting behind the door, connecting through the cables that are behind the door and give, getting raw access to the internal network of the car and things like that. So again, in this scenario, what we are trying to get together is how an entire car, for example, is going to work in the, with all the moving parts that they have. It's just not a single IoT device inside a car. There are like hundreds of micro IoT devices. Wow. Uh, in I mean, a central you, computer. And, yeah. yeah, we never think about it, right? You know, I think we don't all have flash new cars, but the, you know, the newer a car is, the more of these devices are, are built in. And, you yeah. know, as a security person and a software engineer, I'm kind of conflicted here. It's a yeah. great thing. I'm getting really a really lovely car and a really ex great experience. But the security person in me is like, oh, my goodness, that's so many attack surfaces. Can I so, get hacked when I'm, you know, driving in the motorway and somebody pushed the brakes or, you know, 
change the steering tension or something and they can, you know, fail on a curb. Those are kind of like, you know, let's say life-threatening attacks, mm. but you can also have the basic attacks of somebody sitting nearby just, you know, opening the car and then taking something that is, you know, like belongings. Or, or Absolutely. And I think in the in the news this week, there was a, an article uh, about Tesla is using the Internet of Things devices in their cars to monitor yeah. driving behavior and adjust the restrictions and the insurance policies around the the use of the car. So, you know, if I'm having a bad day and I slam on the brakes a few too many times, that's going to turn up in the data and that's going to turn up in my premium. Now, as an attacker... Yeah. If I know I can cause you, Santiago, massive pain by telling a car that you've been a terrible driver this week, even if you're a wonderful driver, you know, there's going to be a subset of people who think that's really fun and this is something they want to do to disrupt people. So it's it's quite fascinating when you start thinking about the breadth of the risk there in cars. And and it becomes really complex as well, because on that sense, you're going to have people that they own the cars and they're going to try to mock their local systems you know, to, to prove different things. And, and and that goes at all levels. You're going to have the internal attacker <laughs> that he wants to, you know, reduce the, the, the digital millage, <laughs> let's call it in this way. And also you're going to have the other attacker that is the one that wants to do something, you know, to your property. And that's one example. And also how, for example, you know, the, all the sub IoT devices within the car, they get updated. If it's something that needs to happen according to, you know, a set of conditions like, you know, the car needs to be stopped, not running or whatever, or they need to be mm-hmm. updated actually when something is happening, like running or braking or whatever, because the, brake, the brakes are failing or, 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 or things That's that terrifying. It's really, it's really terrifying. And the same thing, imagine applying, I mean, in a car it's complex, but imagine in a plane, you know, in things like that they go beyond all, all of right. that. Uh, really interesting. This is really cool, Santiago, and I I think it's definitely not something I'd spent a lot of time thinking about, but that updating thing, I mean, we think about, if you think about the Internet of Things devices around me right now, there's probably at least 100 in this office, and I'm going to be really honest, unless I've been able to obviously figure out how to turn on that automatic updating, they're not getting updates. So how do you approach updating when your devices are deployed in so many different environments? Yeah, so going back in time to my, I'm going to call it my official meeting, the the, the, the (laughs) founder of the company, he was telling me this idea of the same thing. It's like, the idea is that the enterprises signing to use our product eventually, what they're going to be getting is this continuous possibility to keep the operating system up to date if they decide to. Again, this is where I think that nowadays, we have this global problem that there is no, how's it called? Like legality around, or nobody can actually get a, a lawsuit for saying, hey, you're selling me a device that after yeah. one year, you know, in, in the contract, it's not going to receive any more updates. Yeah, and we the, have no know, obligations, no requirements that say that they have to do that. Yes. And the idea of automatic updates is always tricky, right? Because that depends on each of the devices and the purpose. But the idea mm. is to always offer that if the company wants to update the devices that are using this technology, they should be able to push devices through, at least without, without technology. That, that was the main goal of it. We definitely have this concept of over-the-air updates, which is the standard procedure. And regardless of where the platform is going to be hosted, if it's self-hosted or on-prem or something, what, what the devices are always uh, going to be doing is 
the platform is not going to push anything to the devices. So the platform itself doesn't know where devices are located, if they are alive or not. The idea mm. is devices are satellites. They come back, they call home. And they pull. Yes, pretty much. It's like they say, hey, I'm here. I'm alive. This is my status. And then the operating system, the platform itself is going to say, okay, based on the conditions that we have for you, this is what needs to happen now. It's like just send mm. us data or here's an update, apply it under these conditions. And then the device itself will do whatever needs to happen and then report back saying, hey, I have this. During that connectivity, there is a lot of security involved as well in, in the way that how do we assure that the updates are secure, trusted, and all of that. And that's yeah. happening around the technology of the operating system with you know a, a digital manifest that pretty much has encryption keys saying, hey, I'm signing this manifest with this thing. And then there is an exchange of keys saying, okay, I accept your key, so now you can upgrade. And also there is a networking tunnel established between the devices and, and the platform. So all traffic mm. is highly encrypted as well. What I, what I love about this is a really good demonstration of when you're building a system, whether it's you're updating Internet of Things devices in a car or, you know, it's, you know, you've got point of sale terminals in a store that your software helps support. You have to think about the direction of that connection. So, for example, you know, because your devices pull those requests in, you know, you're reducing that risk of you compromise the the, the central point in that network and just push it, yeah. push malicious things to everyone. But yeah. that's not enough, right? And I love the layered approach you're talking about here with encryption, with keys, and with making sure that each transaction is considered independently as a security thing rather than just as, you know, one control to fix them all. Yes. Yes. And, yeah. and, and that has been part of like the, I'm going to call it this way, like the SaaS platform that, that control the devices during this, the software architecture of that part is in a, a really fun journey in, in a good way, you know, understanding how the, the sub processes of that, they need to isolate the, the requests that they come from each of the devices in real time with sub processes or just individual pods depending on the different deployment approaches that we have with these Kubernetes, you know, splitting into multiple workspaces and, and things like, which make a solution that will be three pods, super simple with a low balancer, super complex <laughs> because it yeah. has sub networks and sub rules and layers and layers of isolation. So, so that links really nicely into my next question. So obviously the dream, if we could all have our own way and wave our magic wand, would be that every Internet of Things device was treated with so much respect and so much caution when it came to security. So that whether you're buying, you know, a pair of bathroom scales or a toaster or a car, that there was no vulnerability in it. Do you think it's realistic that the level of security that you're building in for cars right now could one day be available to a wider selection of devices? Or do you think that there will always be risk from IoT devices? I mean, this is my personal opinion. Of course, I yeah, yeah, absolutely. How we get there? You know, like, yeah. I believe that the world needs to be way more secure than it is today. And I think the risk happens at, at those layers. I mean, of course, there is human risk always in on a clicking something that you shouldn't and getting compromised, you know, by that attack vector. But that is an attack vector that you can train people on into like how to, you know, prevent phishing, how to use good hygiene or security practice for, you know, day-to-day -day mobile and desktop technologies. But the IoT devices are, as you were mentioning before, they are sit and forget most of the time. And you don't have this general console for visualizing things or getting them to, you know, be out-updated if they are something non-critical. Yeah, it's, it's a complex topic. It's a typical topic that 
I get angry most of the time with my really old modems or, um, you know, yeah, some of the devices, for example, I have a couple of dehumidifiers and panel heaters that they are IoT. And I think that they received the last update like three years ago when I bought them. <laughs> that I'm firstly very confused that a dehumidifier would be IoT. And also now thoroughly kind of intrigued to think what's the worst you could do with an unpatched dehumidifier. Maybe that's a question for the audience at home. Don't do crime. That's bad. But, you know, if you were, you yep. know, in the same network as an unpatched dehumidifier, is there actually I mean, something we, you could we, do with that? We can, we can expand into what could potentially happen, you know, as a, sure. and call it worst case scenarios with those devices, because I always, I'm curious about it. So what, what I have done is I have created a separated VLAN in my network just for the IoT devices, because also mm -hmm. I've been scanning the network of what the IoT devices they do. I mean, they, they have this web interface and on your phone, you can control them and set the temperature, create some automation rules pretty much where they, oh, if it's 30 degrees outside, I will shut them off. If it's 16, I will put them on 20 mm -hmm. degrees or something. Super basic automation. So. The problem is that they are, these devices are so noisy. They are always opening and closing ports, talking to this mothership in the, in, the, in the provider. But the problem is that the authentication doesn't follow any tokens or anything like that. So pretty much if somebody is actually picking up that connectivity, they could connect back and probably get you know, inside the devices and move laterally to just scan my network, for example, and know how many devices do I have on my MAC addresses and things like that. And again, this is how things can go really, really bad. Somebody can mock, I know, the MAC address of one of my mesh devices and, you know, si simulate my network and start scanning traffic. And there are, there are like really bad things that can happen when you work with sensitive data. I'm not saying that I'm a target, but when you talk about people of interest, a, a mm. super small device like this can actually bring down, you know, probably an office or something that is actually high interest, like, you know, a defense system or, or something in, in politics yeah. or... Complex things I, I think this is really interesting for our audience who are listening today. So, you know, a lot of us, we're involved in building software and we may not feel like it's very sensitive. You know, if you're the, the lead engineer building the automation on a dehumidifier, you're probably kind of feeling pretty safe right now. You know, what's the worst that could happen? Everything gets a little bit moist. I'm being intentionally simple there. But really, it's a risk from IoT devices isn't about the device itself. It's about its context and the neighborhood it lives in on our network, right? The other yeah. things it has access to. And I think that's going to be such an incredible engineering challenge over the next you know, decade as we really start to understand, well, can we all have VLANs all the time or... If we can't do that, we can't expect a, a, you know, a normal household to take those yeah. controls. What controls can we put in place as engineers to reduce that risk? Yeah, I think that, I mean, the simplest of all the, um, the actions that anybody can take is probably changing the default DNS on their modems at home. That would be the main thing that I would recommend to all my friends is going with something like Quad9 or the Cloudflare families protection or one of those that at least, you know, if the device gets compromised and is trying to call to a random malicious website or that is not an IP address to actually get, you mm. know, like over the DNS, that request will get blocked. In the majority of the cases, that's how malware is going to work. It's going to be very random that it actually goes to one particular IP, yeah. which again can happen, but that, that becomes more complex for the local networks, to, you know, to be protected, especially in households. But yeah, uh, th this is really fascinating, Santiago. And I think I've, I've definitely got a lot to think about. So you gave us some good advice there with, you know, changing our local DNS. As an engineer, 
which yeah. bit of all of this problem that you've been working on, you know, the, the securing of IoT devices for primarily at the moment use in vehicles, which bit are you most passionate about? What's the most exciting thing coming in the next few years? I think that, I mean, for me is the level of surprise that we can have working in this company. I think it's like, we don't really know what kind of industry is gonna knock on the door and say, hey, we had this problem. We believe that SCL4 is the answer. You know, like we like the idea of having all things secure. <laughs> and that sounds amazing. I mean, again, I, I want to be surprised by saying to my friends in a couple of years, hey, we build what is inside your thing, you know, that is at your house. So have you seen blah? The devices are powered by our operating system. And that sounds really, really good. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that's a pretty amazing thing to be built, building, you know, and it's top, totally on theme for this podcast. Just, you know, just to bring it all together for our audience at home. This has been a really great and interesting chat. So thank you so much for your time, Santiago. If you have any links to share, we're going to pop them in the notes of the podcast. So we might pop some useful things in there for you to have a dig into. If you're watching or listening to this and you are an engineer and you're in the IoT space or you're curious about it, you know, getting started looking at what those devices are doing, what they're built from, what signals they're sending and receiving. And if not, you know, look at your own car and perhaps you'll see your car a little bit differently after this chat with Santiago. So thank you so much for your time. Awesome. No, th thank you, Laura. It's been good fun. And yeah, uh, looking awesome. forward to seeing where people want to build. Yeah, awesome. Thank you so much. Build Amazing Things Securely is sponsored by SafeStack. Train your development team so that all software is secure software.